1: everybody this is Eric Mann you're on voices from the front lines you're a national moving building show I'm in studio with our producer and co-host Jenny Martinez how's everybody doing uh, I love Nina Simone you know you have a, a theme song I didn't even know how I originally picked that but what a great theme song think about it I mean depending on my mood which is usually very upbeat but even if it's not, Sometimes if you just get in the studio, get in front of the microphone and Nina Simone starts singing, it sort of pulls me in and, oh, yeah, here comes the sun. Oh, yeah, it's going to be all right. That's why I moved to California. You know, I went to Cornell University. (laughs) Tell me, man, I don't think they had sun there. Nobody told me that. It's a great great school if you just went from September to October, (laughs) maybe November, and then this blizzard would come. I was 17 when I got there and it was like I mean I already lived in New York City so it's not like I didn't know winter but this winter started early and ended late and the snow would be like uh, 8 feet, 10 feet high and they'd have these big mountains with or they were called uh, gorges. You know they were were like the Finger Lakes so they would have mountains with gorges and with and people would jump off bridges in the middle of the year. So, here comes the sun. That's <laughs> Terrible. That terrible. <laughs> I mean, so, welcome to Los Angeles, which leads us to today's show, which is why you you listen to us. It's called Where is the Hope? I mean, one thing I like about our show, Voices from the Frontline, is it's not a Debbie Downer show. It's It's always about people doing things. It's always about people doing things. So... You don't have time. Depression is not really a political concept for an organizer. I mean, sure, things are depressing at times, but there's always something to do that you believe or or should believe has a chance to make something better for somebody. If that's the case, then shut up and do the job. You know what I mean? Don't complain and get moving. So uh, today's show has a couple of roots in it, Uh, And I'll segue to you, Channing, in a minute. Um, The strategy center had its annual holiday party, December 15th, and we had a wonderful group of people of mainly black, Latino, Asian Pacific Islander, and people of all races. And uh, uh, So we had a panel. The panel, which I initiated, was called Where is the Hope? And we had a terrific group of people, uh, Manuel Criollo, who is, was with us for 20 years and is now at the University of New Mexico in a PhD program, Martin Hernandez, who was with us for almost 28 years, and uh, he was on staff, he was a member, he, he went in to work for the county of Los Angeles, he's out in Minnesota right now, uh, he's on our board of trustees, then we had Anaya Logan, a sixteen-year-old student from O. G. O'Donovan High School, who's one of the leaders of our taking action. Then we had Michaela Brown, who's also uh, from Augustus Hawkins High School and one of the leaders of our taking action, and then I spoke at the end. So and uh, so that's where we're gonna go. We have about a thirty minute clip. And after one of them, Ricky, I'll stop, you know, and I'll say 818-985-5735, I want you to call up and say, where do you think is the hope politically? Hopefully something you're working on. I mean, I don't, I'm going to also get into some of my other hopes besides my own organization's work. Channing will also. So so you get the concept, we're going to do about a 30-minute uh, audio clip of this program that we played But beforehand, Channing's been doing a lot of work on uh, national campaigns around police and criminalization of black and Latino people, so Channing Martinez.
2: Sure. I'll try to be quick because it is a 30-minute clip, and it's a great, uh, great session to listen to. Um, Just today, we just got news. Um, I've been working with the the Communities for Just Schools Fund and the Alliance for Educational Justice nationwide coalitions of groups. Um, and we've been working on school safety and school discipline and ending the school to prison pipeline. Um, this past year, I'm not sure if you know, but the federal government in response to Parkland's you know mass shooting event, um, brought together a commission basically to study school safety. Um, and they went all over the nation and they heard from all types of people on their ideas of what school safety is and how it can be improved. And they are to release a report. So that report just got released today. The bad news is that it now actually gets rid of the school, the national school safety guidance, um, you know, recommendations that were passed during the Obama administration. And a lot of that work actually has enabled a lot of the work that we've done here in Los Angeles and that work, the great work that people have done nationally. So if you can think about the school climate bill of rights, for example, right, that was stemming from the federal, you know, guidelines on you can't discriminate against black people, right? You cannot discriminate against black students, um, and in fact, one of the lines that it says in the report that I just read today is that, in fact, protecting. It said I don't remember the exact language, but it said something like uh, protecting. Um, protecting students based on racial discrimination is actually counterposed to school safety and actually makes schools less safe. Um, imagine that, um, right? Um, and so it is saying basically that we're allowing school districts to be racist and you can pass any, any uh, law, any policy on the books that is racist as long as it's under the guise of school safety.
1: So, that's the latest from the Trump administration. Uh, What a shock. They did a national survey, and they came up with the fact that racism is good. So, um, just one other thing I would say that Obama, you know, I think on both these national reports, Channing, I mean, Obama did some good things by sort of enabling people like us to do our work, and this makes it harder to do our work, but in the end, We do our work. We still do our work. I mean, nobody is going to—he didn't say that you can't pass a school climate bill of rights. Uh, You know, I mean, he didn't say that. He just said, if I were you, I wouldn't. You know, I mean, it's a national report, so it's going to give support to the racists. So thanks for the work you do. Uh, Where do you find the report? So you can find the report
2: online. Um, if you go to Twitter, you do not need a tweet Twitter account to do this. Um, you can just type in hashtag just schools and you'll be able to find the report there and you'll be able to find tweets from all over the country from different groups, including ours.
1: Okay, cool. So now, Ricky, we're almost there. So uh, there's not much more to say. Uh, next year you can come to a holiday party, but... Here's the point. Uh, I think it's very important for each of us to believe that there is hope. And I think uh, if you think about all the courageous people, if you think of Nelson Mandela, when I was in prison for a year and a half and he was in prison for 27 years, <laughs> and I would talk to him as my patron saint or George Jackson, and I would say to them, where's the hope? You know, And they would say, are you kidding, man? You're doing it in a year and a half. but You should be very hopeful, and I'm fine you know, and uh, get back to work, the same slogan. So with that, that's the main hope, get back to work. And with that, we're going to play the panel from the Labor Community Strategy Center's holiday party with the title it Where is the Hope? And then you can call in at 818-985-5735. You'll be in on around 345. And we'll give you two minutes to tell us where you think the hope is for 2019. Why don't we just actually go right across, is that OK? Um, Martina and Hernandez
3: and, you know three, four, five minutes and go to Thank you all for coming. Um, gracias por todos de venir. Um, my name is Martina Hernandez and I grew up in East Los Angeles. Um, my name is Martina Hernandez, young grace in the state of Los Angeles, and ahorita vivo in St. Paul, Minnesota, where donde la gente blanca está lavando los coches. I live in St. Paul, Minnesota now, where uh, white people wash the cars. And it's quite a British culture shock, I have to say, to see a room like this, which was what I'm used to living in Los Angeles, a little louder, or uh, person, eat the mic, that's what they say. Eat the mic when you want it, the people to hear you. So I'm glad to be in a room like this, so that gives me hope, you know. And a little bit of that is happening uh, in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm involved with a community group out there that has, that had a board of directors. Um, it's a community organization on the west side of St. Paul, which is more or less kind of like the east side of Los Angeles. Ahorita estoy por una organización de comunidad que está en el oeste de San Pablo, Minnesota. Es como el este de Los Angeles, donde yo Y, uh, estamos viendo que la, la mesa directiva de esa organización era mayoría blanca, pero por hechos de él, esta mesa empujaron a traer más gente de color hasta la mesa. Y ahora tenemos la mayoría, por la mayor mayoría. And being involved in that committee organization that had a majority of white board of directors, to give the, that board of directors credit, they pushed very hard to have uh more people of color get on the board and the the latest slate, everyone was a person of color and now we're the majority of the board. So, there are some folks that are progressive. Um, My hope has always been, I was young once. And, uh, like Manuel and Eric and all of us here, we were all younger at one time. I guess that's what gives me hope. to young people like y'all that are out here getting involved young, learning history that some of us didn't learn until we were in our 30s and 40s. I was talking to a friend of mine, she's in her 50s, and she had just learning about Fannie Lou Hamer, Fred Hampton, uh, a lot of the Black Panthers, and a lot of And she was kicking herself that she didn't know this, but she wasn't taught that. And I'll be a lot of people will that out in school right now. But those were young folks too. Fred Hampton was, what, 22, 23 when he was killed? But he was very sharp man, very internationally oriented, um, and knew that it wasn't just black people that were in the struggle, it was organizing multiculturally, multi generationally young folks learning from the older folks older folks learning from the younger folks um but we still remember some stuff and we've been in struggle before um and we've survived a lot of stuff it isn't terrible times right now but we've survived yeah we're built to survive Uh, we know how to survive and we know how to get through stuff so more or less that is my hope is seeing younger folks and talk it to the bike. Eat the bike, eat the bike. Thank you. Thanks,
4: Martin. It's cool. it's cool. I'm here with Martin. Martin actually recruited me to the Strategy Center. He, don't, he doesn't remember, but it's all right, you know. Uh, uh, but Mar- I know we're both, we're both old. I was definitely a young man. Um, so, uh, hey, everyone. My name is Manuel, and uh, Criollo. And I was, I, here I've been in this for over 20 years, and uh, I just left in February, in February, in July, excuse me. Uh, I'm in New Mexico right now, I'm at a PhD program, I just finished my first semester, so, you know. After, after 20 years of no books and no school, I've had a lot of books, but, you know, books where you had to read, it sucked, you know. Going back to school sucked. But it was but it's fun. I don't know. It's like a masochist thing, you know, you like it, but you don't like it. Um but um what is the hope? You know, I, I think uh I know Eric was telling me about this 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 panel today, and you know, I would say that hope, you know, if I start breaking it down each word, right? H O P E, right? And I was trying to think about what what's the hope in those words, right? Hope, you know, I do think what Martin is saying is we have to understand that our hope is in our own people's history, right? That that long history of indigenous people in struggle in this country, you know, one of the good things about being in New Mexico is that indigenous people are alive and well and fighting and are trying to provide a different viewpoint about the world. Their framework was already an anti-capitalist framework, right, they lived in a much more harmonious way with the planet and they still are the ones that are leading that kind of ideology, right? So to me, that's one way to think about what is our history that we're grounding ourselves. The other thing is the history of black people in this country, right? The incredible, incredible, any rights that we have. As a brown man, I know that those rights were won by black people, right? And that I have a lot both to not just give thanks, but a lot to learn, and hopefully also envy and struggle, given that this country is also trying to destroy the black community. So we have to understand that history that lands in that word H, right? Oh, I think O is all about opportunity, taking that opportunity, taking risks. I think it's about, you know, there's always the system, there's no way that it can sustain what it's doing on so many fronts, right? The, all the hatred, all the evil things that Trump is trying to do, all the weak-ass thing the Democrats are not trying to do, right? I think there is, there is, their opportunity. But it, it, the question is, do we want to take the risk to do anything about it, right? I think that's important for us to think about, is all about, hope is also about one day deciding that you're gonna do something about it, and not just be pissed about it or be depressed about it, but there is that opportunity, right? I mean, and think about like, You know, right now, we're celebrating, what is this now? Uh, What is it Uh, now? 63 years of the uh, bus boycott in Montgomery, right? Right. Imagine, you know, they say that Rosa Parks went out to, um, like, a Freedom Summer program out at Highlander School, right? And she was hearing about, like, you know, uh, direct nonviolent action. And one day, it's not that she was tired. She decided she was going to do something about it. So again, it's that opportunity. That opportunity of action is really uh, uh, important. The other P, P, I was trying to think of, I can't think of P. Sorry, I don't think about P when I think about P. Um, but but thinking about propagation, you know, uh, Elmo, is that a right word? Propagation, is that a word? Yes, all right. And that's about the seeds and they grow, right? Right, so thank you. Uh, he's my, my uh, resident in, uh, no, he's a resident uh, farmer, so you know. Um, so propagation, right? How are we how are we taking care of the seeds? Are we are we saving the seeds to grow them, right? Thinking about how we're gonna grow them, how we're gonna you know give a uh, good uh, mulch and whatever else you put in the dirt. To help you know plants grow strong, right? We gotta think about that as what the task that we're doing right now. In a lot of ways, that's what the beautiful thing that Strategy and Soul is trying to do, right? Is the propagation of ideas, propagation of like the new seedlings. I see all these young people. It's beautiful. So it's important that that's what we're trying to do. And E, I don't know. I was thinking about energy still, right? Because even after all of that, you still gotta do have enough energy to go out and do it, right? and go out to talk to more people, to bring them more into the struggle, right? And so, I think that's my hope, you know, that hope that, you know, uh, both it sits in all of us here, right? Um, And I've also seen that, you know, talking about going back to that first H, is that the Strategy center is always made about making history, right? Where's that poster, down there, right? Make history, right? Uh, Probably from 1995 or something, right? And everything, that we've done is history, including this space. So, you know, I think in that in that sense, all of us are responsible to continuing that history. So, thank
5: you. Hi. Um, sorry if I stutter a lot. I wasn't exactly prepared for this. Um, but hope. Um, what gives me hope is this organization, honestly, knowing that my beliefs my opinions, my values, my struggle is not an isolated struggle. None of it is isolated, none of it is just mine. Everything that I felt from going to kindergarten and being told that the color of my skin was too black to going to high school and having my friends use the N word to me. Um, It's not just my struggle, it's not just my issue, it's an issue that was built by a system that this org is fighting against And that gives me hope to know that the feelings I feel aren't just mine, that there so many people have them and that I don't have to go through it alone and I don't have to fight for it alone. And I've only been with the org for about a year. And honestly, this is my second home. These people are my family and some are actually my blood family. Um, So, Gives me hope. Coming here after school, coming here on weekends, it gives me hope to know that no matter what I'm feeling, there is there's people that I can trust that are going to stand by me and tell me that we're not just going to sit here and take this. We're fighting it. We're doing something about it, and we're going to change the world. And that gives me hope every day. And even when I'm not here, I feel the presence of the org at my own house. I I my language has changed, the way I talk to my family has changed, the way I look at my surroundings has changed. And even though I know that I've always felt like America was a bit screwed up, I've never I've never really felt that I could do anything about it. I've never felt that I could I could actually help myself help others and this org gives me the hope that I don't just have to sit here and think, you know what, once I leave this neighborhood, I'm going to be good. I'm going to do me. I can sit here and think, I'm going to stay in this neighborhood and I'm going to help everyone. I'm going to help myself. I'm going to help my people. And that gives me hope to know that I can can do something and I have people standing by me helping me do it and (coughs) supporting each other. So that gives me hope. (laughs)
1: That was a. n Ni- I'm sorry, I was just saying on the tape. That was Anaya Logan from Ouchie High School. Pretty moving human being. Now we're gonna to go to Michaela Brown. Michaela Brown. Hi, my name is
6: Michaela
1: Brown.
6: Um, I'm from South LA and I go to Mrs. Hopkins High School. Obviously here. And growing up, like growing up in my family, I didn't really, I didn't know what the word hope was. I didn't know what I didn't know what hope felt like until I, until I joined the Strategy Center. I was, I mean, I was a part. I mean, I was a part of other. um, Sorry, I was a part of other movements, and um, even a part of like this other organization. But I. The Strategy Center, I've invested the most time into the Strategy Center because after just a few days of being here, I felt like this place was a family, and the politics, when I first joined, it was kind of a bit much because I was like super, like a super small-minded liberal girl. (laughs) Um, But after like a few weeks of being here, I learned what a, comu- what, it, what a community felt like. So for me, I believe that hope is organizations like this one and the Strategy Center itself. Because without the, I felt like the Strategy Center saved my life because the days before I joined, I was getting into fights. I, my leg was messed up when I first joined, so when I went organizing, I was like, limping. <laughs> um, I was I, I I've been diagnosed with depression, so I was like struggling with keeping my mental health up. And I feel like the strategy center has really helped me, and the people here, who I who I met, people who have who have come and gone, have really helped me. Um, have really helped me become the person that I am today. Because I always felt like I needed to find myself, and coming to the strategy center made me realize that I already knew who I was. I just needed to develop more into the person that I wanted to be. So hope for me is is the strategy center and organizations like the strategy center. I'm trying not to get emotional, but this is a safe space, and I feel like the world needs more safe spaces. So hope hope is community, and this is a community, and I am so happy to be here today. Oh.
1: So, hi, uh, I'm Eric Mann, I'm the director of the organization, and you know, I think I have come up with this, to uh, say, the where's the hope concept, I use it a lot, because I always have a lot of hope. I mean, one thing about being an organizer is you have to have a very optimistic personality. I mean, the indigenous people, I'm sure, well, you know, we think, oh, it's so terrible what they did to them. That's not what they think. I'm sure what Norm Wall was talking about, what was saying yesterday, that as much as he and Manuel has had more sympathy, empathy, and knowledge about indigenous cultures and struggles than most people, but that's different from being immersed in the best thought leaders who are way over our heads because that's what they're thinking about 24/7, and they have that whole history of what they've been thinking about for thousands of years. So. I'm gonna tell you a little bit about history. So the first thing is this issue of yet, uh, age and stuff, and seriously, old, young, and this this thing. I truly don't think I'm old, and at all. And I use the word young, and then somebody said, well that's not exactly accurate, vital, enthusiastic, and I go, no, young, that's what I feel. I do, I, I feel, as long as I'm in my game, as long as I'm fighting the system, I feel that, Whatever that word means. I feel vital, I feel fine. When now when Mikhail was saying she battles depression, so do I. I battle anxiety, I battle depression. Instead of thinking you have depression, it's better to think, you know, sometimes your back hurts, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you have a headache, sometimes you don't. You're not a depressed person, but yeah, you've got to battle with depression. Uh, if you're lucky enough not too good for you. But most of us do, in some form or another. And you need an organization. You're absolutely right, Michaela. So that's been my secret. I've been in an organization since I'm 21, and I've never stopped. I have gone from organization to organization because you can't get out of your head by yourself. Your head is a horrible place to be in. It's because it's the system is in your head. That's why Boal said, you know, that there's a cop in the brain. Cop about self hatred. if you're a woman, if you're black, if you're Latina, in my case, being a Jew. You, you know, the things they said about me when I was growing up was horrible. And my appearance, my morals, my, you know, I, I won't repeat that, but you, you know, I've heard horrible things about me and my family and my people. But my mom was great. Her basic slogan was, <laughs> you know what I mean? They're a bunch of goyim. They're a bunch of fascists. They're losers. As long as you're hanging around with black people, you're going to be okay. She called me well, back then and said the Negroes. He said, if the Jews and Negroes stick together, we can win this thing. So I'm going to tell you a historical story uh, because to me, I'm working on this thing called the Integrated History concept. And what Integrated History means to me is I think for, right now, I would say Manuel, me, Channing, and Elmo are the four people I know who most think about history, like as you're walking down the street, you're thinking about history as, as you were saying, uh, when now it's in your brain and how you start seeing everything differently. I'm thinking about Toussaint Louverture. I'm thinking about Fannie Lou Every day I talk to Lennon. I talk to W.B. Du Bois. Every book I read becomes my friend. And then I use it. I use it. I'm trying to expand my brain. So, all those books, I try to figure out what's the point. So, I'm going to tell you a really hopeful story. Um, so, I'm 21 years old, and I joined the Congress of Racial Equality, which is a black, primarily black, it was then black and white, multiracial, but majority black, militant, civil rights organization. And afterward, I went to Newark, where I lived and worked in the black community for about two and a half years in what was called the Newark Community Union Project. Now, I had heard of Fanny O'Hamer, who was, you know, older than me, but our contemporary, and she was this famous her- heroine, hero, I'll tell you about. So I'm in Newark, and Tom Hayden says to me, and each one I can't explain to you, but you gotta know who Tom Hayden is, you gotta know the community. He says, Fannie Lou Hamer's coming to work with us today, or the next week. And I'm going, you gotta be kidding. <laughs> Fanny, the fan, you know, the Fannie Lou Hamer. So I'm gonna tell you about her as I tell the story. Fannie Lou Hamer was a sharecropper who had had no political education, someone like Barbara lott who had been almost at first a blank slate, or like all of us. But once she got it, it's unbelievable. When she got black liberation, she went from not knowing hardly anything to the head of the class in about three months. And everybody was saying, you gotta go meet this man, go Hamer. She was beaten badly in the prison, The white people put a black guard on her and a black man was forced to beat her, beat her back to, uh, broke her back so badly, she lived in excruciating pain her whole life. Now they formed something called the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party in 1964. That party was Mississippi Freedom, Democrat with a big D. They wanted to go inside the Democratic Party to make it better. And the Democratic Party in Mississippi was the white party. It was called just the Mississippi Freedom, Demo- uh, i the Mississippi Democratic Party or the Mississippi Ku Klux Klan Party, really. And so black people got the idea to have their own party and they invited white people and Latinos and indigenous, everybody was free to join the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party. They had a freedom vote, because they weren't allowed to vote. So they had their own vote. And they elected themselves, and they elected Van New Hamer, Victoria Gray, and, um, sorry, I, I do think about it as a third woman. I knew them all at the time. And those three women were nominated for Congress. So the Democratic Party, Is having its convention in Atlantic City. Now, these are not legally elected people. You know what I'm saying? They're not, because the Democratic Party wouldn't let them in. But they said, we should be seated because we are the morally elected group. We're the non racist group, and you Democrats and Lyndon Johnson, you should seat us and not. The, the crackers, so, as it work? So, interestingly, white Democrats and Latino and black, but mainly white, because that's what the Democratic Party was back in 64, got all excited about this, and very good people in the Democratic Party said, I'm gonna vote to seat the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party, not the regular party which means we're gonna kick the whites out for being racist, and we're gonna see this black and white party. I don't think you can grasp what this means. I mean, there's a, there's Lyndon Johnson, who's trying to be re-elected president, and in the middle of all this, the most interesting thing at the convention is the Mississippi, and there's thousands of people there. All the country demonstrating in favor of them, but more importantly, they got the votes inside the convention, so, what do you think the Democratic Party did? Betrayed them, of course. of course. So the Democratic Party did not want to seat them, Johnson, because if he seated them, all these white people in the South who voted Democrat might vote Republican. So he couldn't seat. That's really kicking out white people for being racist. So here's where Van Lee Hammer comes in. She comes to Newark, and this is the story she tells me. The Democratic Party, that's her voice now, and I can almost repeat it. The Democratic Party offered us a compromise. The compromise was that the white regular party got all the seats, and we got two at-large seats. At-large meant, I don't know, we're not from Mississippi, apparently. We're not from Louisiana. We're at large. Now, I never grew up in at large. I don't know where there's a state called at large. So I don't wanna come from at large. I come from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and that's where I wanna be seated. So, me and Bob Moses, Dr. Robert Moses, say no. We're not gonna take this compromise. If you wanna seat the racists, you do so. And then you go take responsibility that that's what you did. And then in comes Walter Ruther, who was the head of the United Auto Workers, um, Bayard Rustin, who was a very famous civil rights leader, who, in my opinion, was not a very good one. And he was in with the Democratic Party. In came Hubert Humphrey himself who was trying to be vice president, and they came in and started threatening us, says Fannie Hamer. They say, Ms. Hamer, we're up against Barry Goldwater. If you don't take this compromise, the white people are gonna vote for Goldwater, we can lose the Civil Rights Act, help President Johnson We need your help to take the compromise. And I said no, because, so here's our first lesson. I believe in compromise, but in every negotiation, somebody wins and somebody loses. So if I'm winning, I take the compromise. If I'm losing, it's not a compromise. You want to call it a compromise, I call it a defeat. Now I don't mind the defeat, but don't ask me to sign off on it. You get that? Don't make me agree to a compromise when you have a gun to my head. It's not a compromise. I said back to them, I'll make you a compromise. You give them half the votes, and give us half the votes, both from Mississippi, and you seat us both sitting next to each other and say, we can't do that. Why not? Obviously because that still would be a defeat for white people and a victory for black people. So then Hubert Humphrey came up to her, who later became vice president of the United States. He said, Ms. Hamer, I'm asking you a favor. It would mean so much to me if you could accept the compromise because I could get elected vice president and then I could help black people and she said, she said, Mr. Humphrey, I did not risk my life in Mississippi so you could be vice president. I thought you're supposed to risk your life so I get seated at this convention. And then she said, remember something very important. If you are offered a deal, think about, can you take it back to the people you represent? And they will say, great job. Or they say, what in the world did you do? Because if you take an agreement, and the people think that you sold out, your political career is over as a revolutionary, as a black person, you are. There's only one sellout you can make, and you don't get a second chance. So I said to Mr. Humphrey, "There is no way I can take this back to Mississippi and justify this to the people who sent me here. I represent them. I don't represent you." And she then she turned to us Newark and said, "Remember this, because you're going to be negotiating someday." and they're gonna offer you something. Don't worry about what they're thinking. Really think, and when you can, go back to the people you represent and ask them, is this a compromise we wanna take? Don't don't even say that. So, that was like burned in my brain. So 20 years, many negotiations, I've been a lead organizer, lead negotiator for. now, fast forward 25, 30 years, and I'm negotiating with Julian Burke, the head of the MTA, and he offers me about a thousand extra buses. And he says a funny thing the only thing I want you to do is, could you please stop saying the racism thing? Because you keep calling us racists, and all I'm asking you to do is stop it. And I said, I'll be happy to when you stop acting like racist. Because I didn't say you're a racist. I said, what you're doing is racist. So if you stop doing racist things, we won't call you a racist. He said, okay. So he has a thousand buses. I said, I can't accept it. He said, why not? I said, I haven't talked to people. He said, but I gave you a thousand buses. I said, I know. But I got a, Norma Henley, you cannot go back to the planning committee and tell Norma Henry before she's gonna ask you 25 questions before you get to even if a thousand buses. Well, what else did he ask you? And what else did he give you? And what did you do? And I was accountable to Norma, and I was accountable to Barbara, and I was accountable to Dylan, and I was accountable to Rosalio, I was accountable to, uh, right?
0: To Nancy.
1: To Nancy. I was accountable to uh, Ricardo Zalada. I was accountable to Scott Miller to Woodrow Coleman, to to Kankanseram, to Chris Mathis, and he didn't understand that. That, and I called him back the next day and said, we accept, he says, what's to accept? I gave you a thousand buses. I said, I know, but I still had to sit on it because there might have been something I misunderstood. So, this is the point, not that you, I think you already know the point, each of you have the chance to be Fannie Louisa. I am channeling her because in my life she's an absolutely real person that I think about every day. I know her, she's my friend. She doesn't remember me, I was just some young white organizer in Newark in the black community and she knew me at that moment, There was only about 15 of us, but then she went on to live my life, but she lives through me. And that's what history means, that I want you to live through me in some way, and each of us live through each other, live through the history we read, and carry these lessons to victory. So that was uh, a lot to take in, very deeply moving. Uh, I think uh, Channing and I were just nodding to each other, a lot of things we going right down. Michaela Brown saying, Turns out that I did know who I was, but I need an organization to help me be able to become that person. And for uh, Anaya Logan to say, now that I I always knew I was black, I always knew in other contexts that I knew I was a feminist, but I thought I was very alone, and now I have an organization that allows me to try to change the world. So uh, that's a lot of hope. We're going to have Channing also talk about his hope, but I want to get a couple of callers in first, 818-985-5735 if you hopefully, uh, hopefully hope, moved by those, to some degree, testimonies of uh, people looking into the new year. You notice, so interesting that it's not to say that we don't understand Donald Trump as president, but we don't have the obsession with him that the Democrats do, because the Democrats primarily simply want to replace him and they had eight years and they didn't do very well. They had a hundred years they didn't do very well. So I'm not saying we don't that some people don't want to get rid of Trump <laughs> and that it would be a good thing. Uh but I am saying that that's not what was being discussed. What was being discussed is black, Latino, young women trying to figure out self-actualization against the system. So 818-985-5735 if you have hope and if you want to give that message to the listeners from voices from the front lines. Thanks for all when we do the fund drives. You give us a lot of hope because you're really great listeners and great participants. While we're waiting for the calls at 818-985-5735 about where's the hope. Channing, you get two minutes. Where's your hope?
2: Sure. Well, you know... I guess the hope is, next year is going to be the Strategy Center's 30th anniversary. And, you know, that's that's a long time in movement history for an organization to exist. And so, you know, I see every day all the different people that have been involved in the Strategy Center for the last 30 years, you know, really moving things in the country. Um, And for me, like, that gives me hope alone. Um, Just knowing that No, I'm part of, strategically, the strategy center, literally what is one of the centers of the movement that is training people to, you know, rebuild a broader movement against United States imperialism. And, I mean, I think the hope is that it still exists and that we're still training people and that people are, I mean, you know, you heard Michaela and Anaya and they're, even in elementary terms, sort of replicating the politics and replicating our strategy, which is that you have to be part of a collective, right? Um, Anaya's um, uh, words on my my struggles are not my own, my struggles are my people. You know, that's
1: deep, that's me. That's me.
2: deep theoretical uh, language there that comes from so many people that have studied revolution. Um, and we're teaching that right here in the middle of Black South LA. And that gives me hope.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, to see a lot of young people or people of all ages raising their ideas to the level of theory, Barbara Hong was saying the other day that the biggest lesson she got this year is to be more kind to the people coming off the street and to be more sharp in our struggle with allies, that she tends to be a little not struggling hard enough with the other political forces in the city and sometimes struggling too much with the people that come in off the street. So that's a theory, and uh, it's a good one. So, <clears throat> I think that raising your own life to the level of theory, you know, meaning you have certain ideas, you know. I mean, I'm working on, of course, all the people who went through this, who are in the strategy center, and went through the strategy center. That's a whole other conversation. 818-985-5735. Ricky, I'm going to give you two minutes warning because you weren't expecting it. You're going to tell us what your hope is for 2019. <laughs> we work with Ricky on and he's our board operator and our producer and uh, just a good vibe that he brings positive energy um let me say a couple of external things that give me hope uh for me the greatest hope is organization so uh alexandria octavio cortez uh ocasio cortez Very impressive. I mean, she's really, uh, sometimes I worry for her. I mean, she's really out there. And meaning, maybe you go a little slower, but who am I to say? I mean, she got elected uh, to Congress when she was 28, and go, go, girl, go. You know, she's taking on Nancy Pelosi she went to a meeting with Nancy Pelosi and she brought 50 people with her you know from from her community uh, very very cool so big props <laughs> to her she was scared about that <laughs> yeah you know big props to her um uh the Rosenberg fund for children which is uh have deep ties psychological ties to Julius and Ethel, Ethel Rosenberg 8189855735 who, gave the, who were accused of being Soviet spies, who were mainly Jews and communists, who were attacked for, yeah, a lot of people wanted to see if there was any chance to get the atom bomb to the Soviet Union as well, as well. These are people who worked on the bomb for the United States because they began to see the United States did not plan to use the bomb against Germany, but planned to use it against Japan and use it against the Soviet Union. So they were executed by the United States government, and now this amazing Mirapol family has been doing wonderful work in the Rosenberg Fund for Children. I I definitely give money to them every year. To Freedom Archives, which is doing uh, really great work about protecting the the kind of very uh, militant, black, Latino, weatherman, uh, Black Panthers, uh, Brown Berets, that whole revolutionary upsurge of, of the sixties, they want to make sure that Freedom Archives. They're doing they did a just a recent film called um uh symbols of resistance that we all saw at Strategy of Soul. That gives me hope. Uh Pan African Film Festival gives me hope. I think that uh Yuko Babu and Olutanji uh uh Asantwa. Asantwa. Oh, uh, um yeah. They do amazing work on films, the Pan-African Film Festival. So I don't know how it happens. Coming up again in February. So we'll have Babu in the in the show uh, 818-985. I hope somebody out there has hope besides us. Um, so the Pan-African Film Festival is amazing. It's an organization. All these organizations, you can go on their websites and see what they're asking for at the end of the year, if they're asking for support. Um, Doctors Without Borders. I love them, and I uh, really appreciate the work they do. The very heroic work. I heard the president of Doctors Without Borders uh, challenging Congress about the how all the governments really agree to bomb hospitals, and that they uh, pretend they don't, but hospitals are.
2: Yeah, I read something about that as well. That basically they they're you know it's all the. They don't want to look bad politically in the press, but it's in their plans. They they definitely plan to do it. They don't want to say they plan to do it, but they always plan to do it. Um,
1: and it's very devastating as an act of war. It does have a very bad effect if, if you're not even safe in a hospital. It shows the barbarians, meaning the US, can't even keep a certain human rights act. But you ready to go, Rick?
4: Yeah, uh, for 2019, I... um. I I hope for change in Washington. That's that's what I hope for. I hope uh for uh the idea uh that uh, a person can uh come before money.
1: And where's the hope for yourself in that in that?
4: I hope for myself. I um hope I'm able to um establish myself uh a little more here in California and um just to grow with uh, the Pacifica radio family.
1: Thanks for the work you do for us. We, you know, we really appreciate it a lot. Oh, it's an honor working with you, man, and you too,
4: Shani. Thanks.
1: Well, that's another organization, you know, uh, that's the only one I'm allowed to ask for money for on this show. The others I'm implying you might want, I don't say nothing, but but Pacifica can always use money, and it is, uh, I think it's interesting because I I I raise a lot of money for the strategies, that I do. But increasingly, I've been wanting to play more of a role as a donor in terms of the hope and give more of, of money and uh, my and my family's money to other causes because there's people doing great work, and I know what it's like when you're asking money. I also know that getting a check in the mail from an... It could be $50, $100, sometimes it's a 1000 but just anybody who wrote you a $10 check that means they liked you enough to put that in the mail. That's that's deeply moving. So Doctors Without Borders is a very uh, another amazing organization. Um, have others you like? Uh,
2: yeah, you named most of them. Oh, there's uh, SOLA South L- South LA Co-op. I think food, think corp, right. food co-op, excuse me, um, which I actually just became a member of as well. Um, there is the Farmer's Market right there on King and Crenshaw, the Baldwin Hills Farmer's Market. There's a lot more.
1: Dignity and Freedom. There's, um, oh, okay, Susie, on line one, you finally got hope in the last minute. What's up?
2: I liked his hope for change in Washington. Um, hold on. Oh,
1: I think she cut off. All right. So how's that? See that Ricky, you had one line and you got the only caller. That's not fair. You <laughs> should have yeah. That's good. I'm just that was a compliment. All right, so folks, we're almost out of out of time. Uh I'm not gonna be back and Jenny won't be back until the new year. Uh I wanna stay maybe ending with uh appreciation with Anya Fields and the work that he's trying to do here as uh as general manager and uh The station in many ways is doing great, but there's nothing that another million dollars a year couldn't really help. Uh, I don't think we understand that if the right wing had this radio station, it would have a $100 million budget. They would put money into it, and they would be state-of-the-art studios and state-of-the-art getting everybody here. And we are doing listener-sponsor, which we desperately need. So think about next year in terms of the hope that you would give, for those of you who give, I, I want to say that KPFK is actually the organization to which I and my wife, Leanne, give the most money. Uh, sometimes she does it just to bail me out of fund drives, but we love the station, and we're very honored to have this show, Voices from the Front Lines, and we're going to keep innovating and making it better. Uh, Ricky, how much time we got? Two minutes, good. Channing, what are your hopes for Voices next year.
2: I hope that we can expand the show. I definitely, we're trying this new Facebook Live thing with not super a lot of success in my opinion, but I'm hoping that we can build up an audience on that. Um, And we're gonna be launching another new podcast next year, you know, as a shoot off of Voices from the front lines. And so I'm hoping that we can expand our influence to just get straight to the point.
1: And I want to make sure I thank Keanu Williams and thank Mary Wright and thank Alan Minsky, who have been among the people most supportive of the show and who create a small community within That's KPFK right. that we have at least three people we know listen to the show, which makes us feel good. And, uh, you know, it's a community that we're trying to build. Uh, and, uh, I don't know how it's funny to say this, but even Bernie Sanders, who I, I'm going to write so many mean articles about next year, including the incredible whiteness of Bernie. But give the man credit. You know, there's a sort of a credit where credit is due, that you got to be the best version of yourself. I think he's really, over the last two years, expanded to be the best version of himself. And he's pushed this country a little bit to the left. So, and finally, I want to give hope to Nina Simone, and John Coltrane and many of our friends who provide the music for Voices from the Front Lines. Take it out, Nina. And thank you, everybody. We'll see you in the new year. You take good care. This is Eric Mann. This is Channing Martinez. All power it, to the people.
0: And